Welcome to We Over Me Brevis. Brevis is Latin for brief. So these are brief 15 minute or so podcasts covering specific topics that are relevant to current events across media, politics, education, healthcare, and innovation. And of course, a reminder that We Over Me is dedicated to interpreting the times through the lens of the Bible. In Luke 12:56, Jesus says, hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance of the earth and the sky. How is it that you don't know how to interpret the present time? What does it mean to interpret the present time? It means to call out when the emperor has no clothes. It means to speak truth to the obvious. It means to stand your ground when people try to convince you that what you're seeing is false. It means to cut through the gaslighting. So We Over Me's mission is to spread the gospel. Our vision is to do so by presenting current events through a biblical lens. I know some listeners are not religious or are agnostic, uncertain, skeptical about a higher being, let alone Jesus Christ. But my hope is that as you realize that we are living in a religious war, you'll find the gospel provides a great meaning or provides great meaning and guidance in understanding the war we're in today. That war is between the traditional Judeo-Christian religion and what many are calling the woke religion. Today, the topic is 20th century French philosopher Jean-Paul Sartre and his idea of man reconstructing himself. The reason I find him interesting is because he was the doyen of existentialism. He was well regarded. He won a Nobel Prize for literature. And while I wasn't a philosophy major, I doubt many philosophy majors realized how much of a communist Sartre was. And this is important to note because of his influence on society's view of human nature, which at its simplest is that man is his own God. And salvation comes through some sort of rebirth through a violent overturning of those in control. This is man's path to, in Satra's words, reconstructing himself. If it sounds a lot like being reborn, like Christians are reborn or born again, it's because it is. It is Satra's playbook on how to gain salvation. So I will be reading from the book by Franz Fanon titled The Wretched Earth, which is an anti-colonial, anti-Western civilization treatise published in 1961. This was during the Algerian War for Independence from France, which was between 1954 and 1962. Fanon was part of the Algerian National Movement, so he is critical of France and France's occupation of Algeria for 150 years. Hence why the book is anti-Western civilization or anti-colonialism. Satra agrees with Bannon and believes that Western civilization or colonialism dehumanizes people. Satra wrote the preface of this book. You should read it, by the way, particularly Satra's words. It is prophetic. When you read the words, it's as though he's watching how the future destruction unfolds for Western society. He speaks as though he is a narrator in a film watching the uprising of a revolution by the oppressed. So I'm going to share his words. And disclaimer, by the way, I picked up this book after listening to James Lindsay's podcast called Decolonization is Violence. James Lindsay, for those who don't know, is a mathematician turned philosopher. He started a podcast called New Discourses, which takes a deep dive into Marxism Maoism, Gnosticism, and how today's critical race theory and woke ideology 
are rooted in those religions. I highly recommend listening to his podcast. And he does cover Satra and the Wretched Earth in that one episode. I agree with basically everything he says in that podcast, um, but I have a few observations as well. Okay, so let's get to the book, The Wretched of the Earth. Fanon, the author, has some like-minded ideologues writing in his book. There's Hami Baba writing the foreword. Baba is a British Indian professor of humanities at Harvard teaching post-colonial studies. He is a critical theorist, and that is somebody who, someone who studies power structures. And the book also has an introduction written by Cornell West in May 2021. Cornell West is a democratic socialist, aka Marxist. He's running as an independent in the 2024 presidential presidential race. West is in full agreement with Fanon's view of France's occupation of Algeria. Um, just to give you a little bit of West's position, um, if you already can't tell, as a democratic socialist, in a recent article in Time Magazine, West says this about the current Israeli-Palestinian war, quote, you can hardly get a Democrat to say something about the apartheid-like conditions on the West Bank under the ambitious Israeli occupation. So those same words can be applied 60 years ago to France and Algeria, just replaced Israel with France and Algeria with uh, Palestine. It would sound like this. You can hardly get a European to say something about the apartheid-like conditions in Algeria under the ambitious French occupation. So West writes in his introduction, colonialism is a sustained barbaric war waged against colonized people sanctioned by Western values. He writes, Fanon's indictment of European colonialism is more than a fancy epistemic rejection of Eurocentrism. It is a deepening, refining, and slightly stretching Marxist analysis by wedding an unrelenting critique of predatory capitalism and its imperial tentacles with an empire-driven analysis of a warlike white supremacy that permeates the very souls of colonial subjects. Whew, that is super verbose, but distilled down when West is basically saying that all of Western culture is predatory and warlike. Importantly, I want to highlight this at the, at the end of his introduction, Cornell West says, quote, the spirit of Fanon is most manifest in my American imperialist context in the revolutionary internationalist wings of Black Lives Matter movement and the Palestinian Lives Movement. Then he writes, the task of full-fledged decolonization and wholesale democratization with genuine socialist options remains unfinished. This is why after the October 7th attacks by Hamas, by the way, on innocent Israels that killed the 1400, that the BLM, that BLM disgustingly tweeted a poster of a person paragliding with a Palestinian flag that had the caption, I stand with Palestine. As many remember, Palestinian terrorists used motorized paragliders as they breached the Israeli border. The point I'm making is those sympathetic to the BLM movement are likewise sympathetic to Palestine in their current war because they have bought into this ideology that colonialism and Western values dehumanizes man. So for those Israelis who backed BLM and who joined the chorus of people calling conservatives, conservatives racist, well, 
they're finding themselves supporting an ideology that's somehow now backfiring on them. All right, well, let's get to Satra. I have many points to make here. I'm going to start with the first point, which is Satra sets up the idea of two different types of people, the elites and the natives. And the elites are the ones that have fabricated a world and indoctrinated people into the ideas of the world, which is colonialism and capitalism. So Satra writes, not so long ago, the earth numbered 2 billion inhabitants, 500 million men, one and a half billion natives. The first possessed the word, the others borrowed it. The European elites decided to fabricate a native elite. They selected adolescents, branded the principles of Western culture on their foreheads with a red hot iron and gagged their mouths with sounds, pompous, awkward words that twisted their tongues. They were fully doctored. These walking lights had nothing more to say to their brothers. So that's the first part. There's two types of people. There are the elites and then there, there are the natives. And the natives are the ones who are indoctrinated. They are um, the colonized and the elites are the colonizers. So second point. The natives start having their own free will, and it's noticed by the elites. So Satra writes, then it was over. The mouths opened of their own accord. We quite happily listened to these polite displays of bitterness. At first, we were amazed and proud. What? They can chat away all on their own? Look what we did with them. But at the same time, there was no doubt in our minds that they, Satra means they means the natives. They accepted our ideals since they were even accusing us of not respecting our own ideals. So point two, the natives start having their own free will. They're starting to see that there's some injustice right here. Point three, Satra starts saying, with every generation, knowledge of this injustice grows. So point three, and from Satra, quote, then came another generation. Its writers and poets took enormous pains to explain to us that our values poorly matched the reality of their lives. You are making monsters of us. We listened to them very nonchalantly and because colonial administrators are not paid to read Hegel. So let us perpetuate their misfortune. Nothing will come out of it but hot air anyway. We can't consent to their lamentations. That would ruin our system, which, as you know, relies on gross exploitation. All we need to do is dangle a carrot in front of their eyes and they will come running. So point two is that natives are starting to feel this injustice. They're trying to, they're starting to uh, air that grievance. Point three, each generation continues, each generation, this grievance and this knowledge of their situation grows. But in point three, for Satra, or my point three, is that eh, the elite say, we'll be fine, we'll be fine. We'll just dangle a carrot in front of them and this will all go away. Now point four, something changes. We start seeing, Satra refers to this as the forming of the third world. And the voice from the third world is Fanon. And Satra goes on to say that Fanon says, it's a waste of time to lament. People should just leave Europe because Europe is heading toward the brink. Fanon now is not just speaking to the elites, he's actually speaking to the colonized people instead. And he says, natives of all underdeveloped countries unite. Uh, so in page uh, 52, 
where does it say? In short, the third world discovers itself and speaks to itself through this voice. This is through Fanon's voice. Europe has hardened the divisions and conflicts, forged classes, and in some cases, racism. Uh, Fanon is hiding nothing, but he says to the colonized, in order to wage a struggle against us, the former colony must wage a struggle against itself. But the colonized, for them, nothing less will do than a demolition of everything that exists. The unity of the third world is not complete. It is a work in progress that begins with all colonized in every pre or post independent country united under the leadership of the peasant class. So my point four is that something's changing. We start seeing the forming of this, for, this third world. Point five, the elites, I call this, the elites are outed. So quoting Satra, our Machiavellianism has little hold on this world, which is wide awake and hot on the trail of every one of our lies. The colonist has but one recourse, force, or whatever's left of it. The native has but one choice, either to serve or to take power. In Sartre's words, servitude or sovereignty. So the elites are outed. The natives know what they need to do. Point six, the genie is really out of the bottle now. The natives are starting to mobilize. And the elites notice that the natives are not even hiding their intentions. And they, these things are being said out loud, right in front of the elites. Um, but they can't do anything about it. So in the book, it says, after taking a short walk in the night, you will see strangers, you being the Europeans, will see strangers gathered around a fire, get closer and listen. They are discussing the fate reserved for your trading posts and for the mercenaries defending them. They might see you, but they will go on talking among themselves without even lowering their voices. The sons will ignore you. Um, the fire that warms them and, and enlightens them is not yours. And you see this happening today, pro-Palestinian protests across the country with people chanting from the river to the sea, which means from the Jordan River to the Mediterranean, or really what it means is annihilation of Israel, or others chanting, no justice, no peace. Satra is recounting what's happening in Algeria. Algeria, the revolutionary voices are getting louder. They're not hiding their intentions. Um, same as what's happening uh, here today that the um, the revolutionary voices are getting louder. They're not hiding their intentions. Um, Pro-Palestinians are saying, let's basically annihilate Israel. Okay. Um, we saw those same words, no justice, no peace, by the way, several years ago during the violent BLM riots, uh, when protesters also had those signs, no justice, no peace, but recall that those those protests immediately turned violent. Um, we haven't seen violence like we saw in 2020, um, but is it coming? Um, in six weeks after the October 7th massacre, we haven't really seen that violence uh, to the extent of the BLM riots. Um, anyway, moving on, point seven, now we see the guilt push. If you recall, this also happened in 2020. It is very Marxist to push guilt and shame. And Satra guilts Europeans into feeling ashamed of their privilege. And he says, quote, you pretend to forget that you have colonies where massacres are committed in your name. So he encourages Europeans to read Fanon's books, be guilty, 
feel guilty, feel ashamed, uh, read Fanon's book and use it as a way to heal. So of course, we see the same thing happening today. Uh, during BLM, many people were guilted in feeling that they were white adjacent or that they were privileged and that they were either anti-racist or racist. They taunted each other saying silence is violence, pick a side. They called people tone deaf if they didn't side with the protests. And that's when all those wonderful virtue signaling signs went on the lawns. Black Lives Matter, justice anywhere is injustice everywhere. Quote, we believe we are not racist. If you disagree, you are not a good person. <laughs> uh, point eight, justification of violence and theft and even killing. So my point eight is now after, after we've been guilted into feeling that we should side with the oppressed, now all of a sudden we're justifying the violence and the petty theft and even the killing. So what we have here is from Satra. Their petty thieving marks the start of a still unorganized resistance. And if that is not enough, these are those, there are those who assert themselves by hurling themselves with their bare hands against guns. These are their heroes and others turn into men by killing Europeans. And then, um, Satra writes that uh, even this killing, this 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 um, creates terror, but this terror and fury actually inspires the colonized, and this terror and fury and violence is justified. So, quote: For it's not first of all their violence; it is ours on the rebound that grows and tears them apart. And the first reaction of these oppressed people is to repress this shameful anger that is morally condemned by them and us, but that is the only refuge that they have for their humanity. Um, so it is not, first of all, their violence, it is our violence. We saw this during the BLM riots in 2020. Many people want to forget that or never mention the $2 billion in destruction left in its wake. I have a section in my book, Unequal Yoke, titled Tragedy and Hypocrisy, which essentially lists out the many justifications provided by the left in support of BLM. I recall Nicole Jana, uh, Hannah Jones, who wrote the 1619 Project. She said that destroying property wasn't violence. A New York Times op-ed writer says, but quote, we can bemoan the violence that has attended some of these protests, but we must also recognize that to have to live in a world in a society in which you feel that you are very safe is constantly under threat because of the color of your skin is also a form of violence. It is a daily ambient gnawing violence. And then in the nation's publication, they write property destruction is considered quote, reasonable articulate expression in itself and quote, attacking police stations, for example, makes rational sense. And then point nine from uh, Satra's preface is the embrace of this ideology. So that to reverse this dehumanization of man, man needs to be convicted of his racism and be reconstructed. So let me read this. Um, in the book, quote, Satra says, our noble souls are racist. They would do well to read Fanon. He shows perfectly clear that his irrepressible violence is neither a storm in a teacup, nor re not a reemergence of savage instincts, nor even a consequence of resentment. It is man reconstructing himself. Elsewhere, quote, violence along, alone can eliminate, um, so violence, only violence alone can eliminate the marks of past violence. 
And through this violence, man will, quote, experience self-knowledge. So Sartre says, says, killing is necessary, end quote. And another quote, for in the first phase of the revolt, killing is a necessity. Killing a European is killing two-thirds with one stone, eliminating the oppressor and the oppressed. Uh, so wrapping it up here, Sartre sees Europe as a colonizer that fabricated a lie to exploit mankind. They built institutions to keep up a facade of civility, but the institutions are all frauds. This is why he probably declined the Nobel Prize for Literature in 1964, because he didn't want to be turned into an institution. And uh, that makes sense. He hated European institutions and their prizes, so why would he want to be associated with him? So Sartre's view is... Um, an evolved Hegelian Marxist view, and now a view embraced by BLM and leftists. It is a religion that seeks to provide rebirth or reconstruction, in Sartre's words. It is a view that sees man's purpose and meaning to be reborn to a higher sense of being through the passage of violence. So compare this violent passage uh, to salvation with, with the Bible, where being reborn means to live in the spirit of Christ. In 1 Peter 1.3, it says, Quote, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope. In Ephesians uh, 2, 8, 9 says, for it is by grace you have been saved, being saved, being born again through faith. And this is not from yourself. It is the gift of God. So to be born in the spirit really is to bear fruits of the spirit. And what are the spirits? Well, uh, what are those fruits? In Galatians 5, 20, 23, 22, 23, the fruits of the Spirit are listed. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Nothing in here refers to being violent or bitter or especially expressing shame or guilt. So let's interpret what we're seeing today. This call to violence and, and annihilation of Israel is to undergo some liberation and rebirth this, and in fact, this calling is a religious calling. This is not some secular view of humanity. It is a religion. So you choose reborn via violence um, or be born again in Christ. I'll take the latter. <laughs>